And I think we've got to keep looking at productivity, especially as we work our way out of the pandemic, to make sure that we're back to being as productive, if not more so, than we were before. Hello, I'm Dave Gans, MGMA Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs, welcoming you to the Executive Session, a monthly discussion with a healthcare leader on a critical issue of interest to medical practice executives. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nate Moore, CPA, MBA, FAC, MPE, President and Chief Executive Officer of Moore Solutions, Centerville, Utah, a consulting firm that focuses on business intelligence solutions for medical group. Nate consults, speaks, records, and writes about business intelligence, data mining, SQL Server, and Microsoft Excel. He has authored two MGMA best-selling publications, Better Data, Better Decisions, the SQL, Business Intelligence for Medical Practices, as well as the new publication, Better Data, Better Decisions, Using Business Intelligence in the Medical Practice. Nate is also a speaker at the upcoming MGMA Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference, a virtual conference that will be held from May 11th to May 13th, 2021. Nate, can you please introduce yourself and describe how you support MGMA members and their practices? Thanks, Dave. It's good to be with you again, my friend. I am a data guy. I've spent years as a CPA and then did about 10 years in a radiation oncology clinic. So I've done the practice management side. I've worn those hats. As CFO, CEO, I, I get kind of what practice managers are going through. And then about 10 years ago or so, I started pulling data for other practices and kind of doing some of the things for other practices that I've been doing for my practice. And really, Dave, what I do is try to go under the hood, if you will, behind the scenes of the practice management systems to really kind of drill down and get data that can change medical practices, change the way they look at things, change the way they see their practice, change the way they act on their data, that kind of thing. That's, that's you know, and, and you, you'll appreciate this, Dave. That's what I do for fun. I enjoy trying to make practice managers' life a bit easier by just grabbing some data and showing them things, you know, in minutes. They used to take them, you know, hours, if not days, to put together. Or I know in some cases, having observed your presentations, you're showing people how to get information from their systems and use it in ways they never thought possible. So uh, let's begin on our discussion. We'll first look back at how what has happened in the medical environment in just the past year. Uh, a year ago, March uh, 2020, was when the first large-scale concerns about the pandemic were occurring. And then the United States uh, began to institute various controls, either to quarantine or to limit access to various businesses. And we've personally observed how COVID-19 has impacted almost all aspects of American life. And we know that medical groups have made significant changes in practice operations to minimize the potential for the disease to infect patients and staff members. And we've also seen significant changes in how and when patients seek care, even for routine medical services. A number of MGMA stat polls have examined the impact of COVID-19 on practices. Early on during the pandemic, a May 19, 2020 poll indicated that 82% of practice leaders reported provider compensation have been negatively impacted. Two days later, a May 21, 2020 MGMA stat poll indicated that 55% of practice leaders reported more than a 50% decrease in ancillary service volume 
and 55% of healthcare leaders responded to a July 7th, 2020 MGMA stat poll and stated their organization's new patient volumes had decreased. Recently, a February 2nd, 2021 MGMA poll found that 27% of healthcare leaders stated their organizations have changed their policies and patient payment plans in the past year. These significant changes in practice operations have necessitated changes in how practice leaders manage. An August 18th, 2020 MGMA stat poll asked healthcare leaders, is your practice changing its key performance indicators or KPIs or other performance metrics amid COVID-19? 33% responded they changed the metrics they used to manage their practice. Nate, you've visited practices across the nation and have spoken at MGMA and other conferences. What are you seeing both in how COVID-19 has affected practices and how they're responding? Dave, uh, you had some good information from MGMA staff there. I love MGMA staff. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, the 30-second divergence, it's terrific, especially at times like now. Uh, you don't have to be a member of MGMA to, even, to join or participate. What they do is they send out a text message-based poll on Tuesdays. And so it's text message. It's short, it's brief, it's easy to respond to or whatever. And you're going to get the results on Thursday in a nice graphic with an, with an accompanying, you know, drill down additional data, brief article telling you a little bit more about what the poll results revealed and some things you might do to act on it. It's terrific. If you're not a member of MGMA stat and you don't do anything else as a result of this podcast, oh my goodness, join MGMA stat. Just get out your cell phone, text the word Excel to 33550. They'll let you in. And you'll get there thousands of healthcare people across the country, and you can get the kind of information that Dave just shared with you every Thursday on your phone for the cost of, you know, a second. It's, it's a terrific service. It's a free service offered by MGMA. If you don't do anything else, join MGMA staff. Now, back, back to your question, Dave. Let me, I'll give you a sneak preview, if you will. I've applied to speak at the Medical Practice Excellence Conference in San Diego this fall. And, uh, the abstracts as they were, they were due a little while ago. And my abstract essentially said this, how much has your practice changed in the past year with all the things that Dave went down and all the, you know, with, with COVID and the practices shutting down and folks that, you know, with limiting surgeries and non-essential surgeries and all that kind of stuff that varies from county to county, from state to state, and all this change in the past year, how much has your practice management system changed in the past 10 years or even 20 years? I mean, we're still looking at charges, payments, and adjustments like we were 20 years ago. And the practices I work with are frustrated at that level of information. There's way more that practice management systems know and aren't telling you about your practice and what drives charges, payments, and adjustments. So I think what I'm seeing a lot of practices do, first, I'm seeing practices push to get data weekly that they used to be happy with monthly. And Dave, the key to that whole game is you've got to automate. I mean, if it took you a day or two's worth of data of cut and paste and grab it from this canned report and that canned report and put it all together to try to do a monthly financial report or whatever, there's just no way you can take that day or two process and do it every week. You just can't. And so I'm seeing practices say, you know what, we've got to focus on what our key metrics are, but dang it, we've got to automate to get there. We've got to automate this process. It's got to tell us what we need to know without a lot of work on our part. Show us exception reports. Only show me what's out of whack. I don't need to know that, you know, everything's the same as it has been the last 10 weeks or whatever. I need to know what's different now and what I need to act on now. So I'm seeing folks that are looking for uh, weekly reports instead of monthly. 
more exception-based kind of things. And the other thing I've seen more than I've seen since I started doing this is I'm seeing folks put cost information on their dashboards. So instead of going to their practice management system and doing charges, payments, and adjustments like we always have, what we're doing is we're tapping into accounting systems and trying to pull that data back against the practice management data to say, okay, by provider or by location or by department or by whatever, help me understand where my costs are in relation to my charges, payments, and adjustments, and really try to put some of those pieces together. So I think those are some of the things I've seen in, in the past year or so that old practice management systems have just not kept up with. I think you make a good point. Uh, in fact, as, you know, as we're talking about managing a practice in changing and turbulent times, two practice management adages come to mind. The first is good management is based on good data. And the other adage is if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And I firmly believe that practice data are essential to drive productivity improvements and improve better patient care. One of the concerns I know that many practice leaders have is that it's easy to be overwhelmed with data and still have very little actual information. The solution of data load overload is to identify key performance indicators, oftentimes called KPI, and use a limited number of metrics, but the right metrics to manage. Uh, Nate, can you give some of your thoughts and how can a practice identify what are these key metrics they need to manage? You know, Dave, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all thing. I mean, some, some practices are specialties or subspecialties that are 100 miles away from competition in any direction. And the way they run their practice and deal with their issues is going to be very different than if you're across the street from a major competitor, a hospital system with employed physicians that's pushing their referrals away from your environment and controlling those referrals is, you know, it's a very different environment. So it's certainly not one size fits all, but, you know, and I think what I'd say about KPIs is once you decide what's important to you because of your practice environment, or maybe because of your uh, physician compensation system, because pick, pick a group that does their, their physician comps based on work RVUs for, for better, or for worse, that's the way they do it. So if that's your physician compensation model, and that's what you need to know, that's what's going to drive uh, productivity in your practice. That's the way that's what your physicians are going to look for when they when they're trying to understand, you know, how am I doing and how you know what's my fourth quarter bonus going to be or some of those kind of things. If you can decide what matters in your practice and then get as you say Dave a couple of indicators that can help you look at that. I think that's interesting. What interests me really is not so much the KPI itself, but what's behind the scenes or what's driving that KPI. So let's say for purposes of argument that we uh Work RVUs drive physician compensation in my practice, and one of the metrics I want to look at is I want to look at the payments that I've received per work RVU. And you can get a lot of good data around that. The good people at MGMA can help you with some data around that. You can get some historical data around that. But if you know that metric, then I think what you want to do is think deeper and really drill down into what drives that metric. Let me give you, so if payments for work RVUs are our example. Well, what might drive that? One thing that might drive that is payer mix, obviously. If I'm doing all the Medicaid patients and you're doing all of the good commercial care contract patients, then you're going to have a higher payment for work RVU than I do. And that's, I think people look there maybe too fast and too often when I think there's other things that can drive that metric. And if you don't mind, Dave, let's just drill down and think about that for a second. If we want to, if, if our KPI is payments for work RVU, 
And I want to think about that. And it's, it can be more than just, well, it's, it's more than just payer mix. It's more than just, well, you get all the good you know, patients and I get all the bad patients or whatever. Sometimes, you know, payments for work, you could be driven by procedure mix. And if you're in, a, to take, say you're in a surgical practice, your work RVUs may be much, in terms of time spent, may be much better in an operating room than they are doing E&M codes. And so providers may say, well, I'm going to look at that payments work RVU metric and I'm going to think about it. And because I, I think I get more work RVUs per time in the, in the OR, I only want to see surgical patients as E&M. I only want to see, you know, I want to turn every single one of my new patient visits into a surgical case because that's where my that's where I'm incentivized. That's where my uh, payments for work RVU goes. And what can happen in that situation is I've, I've seen several different things happen. I've seen providers that say, "Hey, I only want to see these kind of patients that are going to turn into surgeries within you know 60 days or whatever, and I don't want to see anybody else." And what will happen is a potential patient will come in, and the front desk or the centralized schedule or whoever it is that's trying to make the appointment won't be sure if this patient's going to turn into a surgical patient. So they don't refer them to Dr. A, they refer them to Dr. B because they know they'll get in trouble if they refer to Dr. A. And so what will happen is Dr. A, by focusing too specifically on payments for work RVU, will miss the opportunity to get new patients that drive those work RVUs and will have holes in his schedule because he's more picky and his partner is seeing more patients and getting more surgeries because he's not as picky about the kind of patients he sees and is more open to it. Now, you can take this too far in either direction. My point is to understand it's more than just a number of payments for work RVU. What's driving your work RVUs? Yeah, um, I think what you're making a good point is that sometimes it's important to use complementary KPI to measure performance in an area of the practice. Uh, you identified volume of patients, payer mix, and you identified uh, the RVU totals, all of which those are three different key performance indicators but you want to interpret them in the context of each other and identify it by provider. So therefore you can understand if you have an imbalance. I think that's an excellent, that's an excellent point. And I, I know you've done some other KPI to measure the number of patients or type of visits or payer mix. Uh, can you give some other suggestions? Sometimes when you present numbers to providers and you see that Dr. A has a higher We'll pick. The, we'll we'll stick with payments for work RVU. That, that higher number than Doctor B. The first thing you'll hear is your numbers are wrong, and the second thing you'll hear is, well, what's Doctor B doing differently than Doctor A's doing to make those numbers happen? And I think a couple of more complementary KPIs, a couple of more you know, pieces of information that might help is, well, what's your competition doing? I work with a group in the southeast, and there are two competing groups in the city. And for neurosurgery. And one group says, we only want to, see, back to those doctors, I only want to see surgery patients, I only want to see surgery patients. So you don't see a doctor on your first visit to one group. You see an advanced practitioner and they kind of screen you for surgery and whatever. And it's a competitive advantage for the other group in town to say, hey, if you come to see us, you're going to see an MD the first visit and we're, you know, we're not going to make you see an advanced practitioner first to see if you qualify to see an MD. You'll see an MD on the first visit. And for them, it's a competitive advantage. And to your point, Dave, if you just look at one number and you just look at payments for work RVU, you may not see that you're, well, yeah, you got, you did really good on payments for the work RVUs you did, but you didn't do as many work RVUs because 
you missed this marketing opportunity that this group across town is saying, hey, you can see a doctor first. Yeah. Let me tell you another yeah. story, if I can. This is from a group in the Midwest. Got a friend that runs a urology practice in the Midwest. He said, you know, for our urology practice, we've done the numbers. And for us, for our environment, for our situation, we're better off doing more procedures rather than surgeries. So a vasectomy versus a prostatectomy, for example, we're better off doing more procedures and for our time spent work RVU and the dollars for work RVU and that kind of thing. And you can't see that level of data or that get that level of information without having much more than just a simple canned report or even looking at a KPI kind of like a speedometer kind of thing. You've got to be willing to get the KPI, understand what it's telling you, and then go beyond the scenes, behind the data to get insights like it's a marketing issue or it's a type of procedure issue that's driving this metric. Am I making sense, Dave? Yeah, very good. In fact, as you're identifying your examples, another example I can think of is the use of ancillary services. You know, what is the internal utilization of radiology and laboratory and the special uh, procedures that are being done uh, in, in some various specialties? That being able to understand not only the doctor's individual productivity, but the other elements of the practice that produce revenue for the organization and provide patient services. So again, as you said, I think it's taking a, a key performance indicators that look at a spectrum of the practice. So you have information by provider, you have information uh, for various ancillaries and how they relate and you put it and you're allowed to get the information when you need it and the the key information allows you to drill down if you see something imbalanced. That's the key. And so back to the, the COVID situation. So I, smart practice, every one of my ideas comes from smart practice managers that, you know, the groups I work with, they're just bright people with good ideas. And this one's in Southeast. And they said, COVID's here and we are being limited in the number of patient appointments we can schedule. Social distancing in the waiting room and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So appointment times are a premium. And so what they did is, and ancillary revenue is also at a premium. You're spot on, Dave. So what they did is they said, all right, look at the year 2019, the last good, clean year that we have data for, and tell me for all our, and they've got 30 some MDs in the practice. So for all these MDs, what we want to know is who is most likely to refer to any of these five or six ancillary services that we offer in our practice? And how long does it take between the time of the first visit and the time of the ancillary service, because the point was, if we're going to lose all these appointments in our, our practice due to COVID, where do we want to optimize our appointments? Who do we want to give that extra exam room to or that extra appointment slot to, to fill our ancillaries? Because if we just allocate our appointment times like we always have, and everybody gets the same amount, or we got this template, and we're always on it this way or whatever, we're losing our opportunity to fill some of these ancillary spots because we don't have that kind of data behind the scenes to know, oh my goodness, if we need to fill this ancillary, radiology or lab or whatever it is in your example, Dave, then tell me who's most likely to use it. And I'm going to give that doctor, look, she's you know, twice as likely as her partners to use this ancillary service. I'm going to give her more of my scarce appointment slots to get my ancillary business back up and going again. And that's one of the things we're planning on talking about at the Medical Practice Excellence, the virtual one coming up in May, is to try to say, how do you prioritize appointments Especially if, you know, heaven forbid, if this thing mutates again or where there are shutdowns or whatever else comes, how do you prioritize your appointments then or even going forward to fill ancillary slots? 
You know, uh, I think another problem you identified was the, earlier was the shift in payer mix. As individuals lose their health insurance from their employer, and they then either move into the health insurance exchanges or uh, move into, if they're unemployed, into the Medicaid program. Uh, so there's a different, obviously a resulting change in practice revenues. So what would you suggest to help a practice manage its payer mix and understand how their payer mix is evolving and potentially what would happen to their bottom line based on the payer mix? It's a good question, Dave. I do a dashboard for a group in the Midwest. And what they get on their dashboard is, you know, absolute value. You never thought you'd use absolute value when they made you learn it in, you know, algebra or whatever it is you learn absolute value in uh, math. But we look at the absolute value. We look at the, the change, whether it's plus or minus, in payer mix for their practice and, for, and by provider and by subspecialty and whatever. And what they get is a report that says, here's your biggest changes in payer mix over time. Plus or minus. Forget, forget the sign. Just tell me plus or. I mean, we're we're going to show you plus or minus for sure. We are, Dave. But we're going to ignore plus or minus when we look for the the, the magnitude of the change. So whether you're up five or down five percent in a given pair, we want to see that. But again, rather than back to the complementary metrics thing you're talking about, Dave, I want to see that in several different ways. Is it by provider or is it by location? Is there, you know, is the south part of town hit harder by COVID or unemployment or whatever? Am I seeing more of it there? And how do I see it and respond to it, you know, in real time, rather than have some kind of canned report that comes out 30 days, 60 days, 90 days later, that tells me when it's too late to do anything about it. And I can't act on changes, COVID-related changes, like changes in payments. So you mentioned something else, and that is uh, dashboards. And earlier, we mentioned how uh, practices are using dashboards to display their key performance indicators and oftentimes using multiple related KPI on the same visual. Uh, the MGMA stat report I mentioned uh, says that organizations are shifting the metrics on their dashboards. So what have you seen and what would you recommend our listeners include on their dashboards to be much more current to manage what the changes that are occurring in today's practices? Remember how much I love MGMA stat? MGMA stat is just, it, it's one of the great things that MGMA does, in my opinion. So in that MGMA stat survey, normally it's just you know, one, two, three, four kind of thing. You just choose a number in your text message and you're done with the response. But what MGMA stat offered in this specific poll was they, they had like a little free text area where if you wanted to add more and say, if you're changing your metrics, what are you adding? And let people free text. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples that came from MGMA stat of things that people are adding to their dashboard, starting to measure, measuring differently. Obviously, percentage of telehealth. Obviously, you knew that was coming. But weekly clinic patient volume and surgeries compared to average weekly volumes in 2019. So part of it is the whole, you know, CMS money and, and where am I in terms of comparing 19 to 20. But the other thing they're trying to figure out is just overall, where am I and how far down am I? and Where am I in this recovery process? So they're looking at it weekly. There are folks who are worried from a clinical standpoint about care gaps. The, you know, that have just, you know, happened. The, the outreach is just so much further behind. Thank you, COVID. The g- groups that are measuring pre-registration intakes per day for contactless payments. There, there are folks that are worried about productivity from work at home. You know, and so again, 2019 is our last clean year for benchmark dates. So what they're doing is saying, all right, here's how many of this, whatever this is, whether it's 
you know, charges entered or coded or payments received or calls made or whatever. Can you look at where we were in 2019 and say, what has happened to our billing office or our front desk or whatever else business office productivity as a result of, you know, this whole work from home thing? Lots of things around productivity around, I mean, certainly from the business office we just talked about, but some of the other responses from MGMA stat were productivity around providers and clinical people as well to try to say, you know, a lot of those costs are fixed. What, how is our revenue or how is our productivity doing along those lines? And one of the groups just said, you know, we're so in trouble in the middle of this. And I, and I don't know who it was. I don't know what part of the country they're in, but they said, we're just, we, we've stopped looking at productivity for right now because the numbers just don't make sense. And I think we've got to keep looking at productivity, especially as we work our way out of the pandemic to make sure that we're back to being as productive, if not more so than we were before COVID slowed everything down. You know, I read that report and something I found really fascinating was that it noted how many managers are looking at at dashboard data measured in weeks instead of months. In other words, their organizations have shifted their time frame to a shorter time frame so they can be more responsive to a drop in charges or patient numbers and, uh, and forecasting there's a resulting change in collections that we have to work on. So, I mean, traditionally, I know practices have used financial information from their monthly reports on their, stat, uh, on their financial status, but now for, or for some practices are moving to weekly financial reports as well as weekly down feeds from their uh, electronic health records to understand what the most recent week's worth of data were and how those weeks are, evol- are shifting over time. So again, a change in time frame is is extremely interesting because it's change it's a change that many practices may or may not go back to looking at monthly data. You're absolutely right, and and I think the critical point there, Dave, is automation. Oh my goodness, you've got if you're going to do data weekly, it's got to be you know just you know either you open the spreadsheet or it's right re- and it's ready for you, or you've got an email and it's right there. This whole cut and paste and take a day or two to gather financial information is just it that that's got to be. That has just got to be a big change that we've got to make. And that's something I think once we make, we're not going back to doing it the hard way. We're going to automate that information and keep looking for more. At least that's what I'm seeing with the practices I work with. Yeah. In fact, Dave, I know I've sat in some of your sessions where you focused on how to feed key performance information to the dashboard coming directly from the uh, electronic health record report or directly from their financial report, um, oftentimes using one of your favorite tools, the pivot table, to take information, realign it, and move it directly into their reporting mechanisms. Um, now, can you give some of your insights on what our readers can do use to take information from their existing systems to better manage the practice and have that information more timely and easily, easily obtained? Good question, Dave. It really, 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 really helps if you own your data. If your data is locked up in the cloud, then your data is kind of cloudy and it can be hard to, you kind of got to say, mother may I to get anything more than the standard reports that are coming out of your system. So it really helps to have access to your data. Most practices I work with own their data. It's in their network. They have access to it and they can ask questions from the raw data not from summarized reports from that somebody at the practice management system thinks you need to know, but you can get to the raw data. And I think what has helped the groups I work with is to kind of go at it two ways. 
the first thing they do is they've got the pivot tables you talk about. And what uh, most of the, if you own your practice management system data, yeah, most of the major practice management systems out there are based in SQL Server, or they get the data to SQL Server for reporting purposes. And Microsoft made SQL Server, Microsoft made Excel, and they taught. And so what I'd work with, I'd work with my IT department to say, hey, look, this is the, these are the critical things I need to see. Here's my KPIs. Here's the indicators I need to see. And here's the supporting data that drives that. Gather that data in SQL Server, connect it to Excel in a pivot table, and let me slice and dice and understand and be able to drill down and see some of the things I need to see. So I'm not spending time cutting and pasting and running canned reports and waiting for them to, to load or whatever. I'm opening a spreadsheet and bam, I've got my data from you know overnight or whatever. And I'm looking at the, the raw data and details to be able to drill down and see some of the insights we've talked about. Then the second thing that they're doing is they're using a, a tool to communicate the data automatically to the different stakeholders in the organization, maybe to the physicians or to the business office or to the front desk or to the clinical staff or whatever. And there are a couple ways to do that. The, the groups I work with, a lot of them use a tool called SQL Server Reporting Services. Microsoft's pushing Power BI, and you can do a lot of pretty things with Power BI. Uh, Power BI is you know, $10 a user a month, so if you really want to interact with your data, you can do that, and you can go down the Power BI route. But for a lot of them, what they're trying to do is just push weekly information out to providers in an email, in like a, either in the body of the email or in a PDF or whatever. And if you own your data, this SQL Server reporting services, you, you own that and it's free, you can send data that way. And then what it does, Dave, is it pushes information. Rather than having to rely on me to remember to open a spreadsheet, no, oh, yeah, I got to look at that, I can push me an email that says, all right, Monday morning at 7 a.m., these are the five metrics that I've got to see. And if they're out of whack, then I've got a pivot table that can help me drill down to, you know, the CPT code level and figure out why is my param exchanging or why is my why are my collections down last month? And I can drill down and see. So it's kind of a two pronged approach, both pivot tables and a reporting tool like SQL Server Reporting Services or like Power BI to let the stakeholders see what the heck's going on in their organization. Yeah, I know you literally wrote the book on that. <laughs> And the book is available oh, yeah, from MGMA. Yeah. I kind of did. <laughs> oh, Nate, you know, there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, I know you're busy <laughs> with your schedule and you've got so much to do. Uh, and so our time is limited. Uh, is there anything that you else that you'd like to add to today's discussion for our audience? Your practice has changed dramatically in the past year. And your practice management system and your reporting and the way you deal with data hasn't. And I think... The, 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 the takeaway needs to be with all of this, you know, the, all the moving parts that COVID introduced to our world, what can we do to automate and to focus and to really drill down on a couple of key performance indicators and really what drives those key performance indicators? I don't want to just look at my, my, my speedometer, right? I want to know why I'm going so fast or how I can go faster. Or did I go faster last week and all that good stuff. If you can get access to raw data, in tools like pivot tables or reporting services or Power BI or whatever it is, then you can use that data to navigate and, and do better. I think particularly for mid-sized practices, some of, the, some of your competitors are acting on this kind of data. Heaven knows the payers have this kind of data. And we've got to level the playing field a bit and automate our access to this data so we can make, we, we can make better decisions with better data. Yeah. 
I think a very good way to conclude. I think, as I said earlier, good management demands good data and good data yields good management. It, you know, both are true. So I think I appreciate so much for your time. I know our listeners are going to find our discussion most interesting. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. It's, it's possible. It, you can do this. It's possible. It's not rocket science. You can do this. And when you do, you, the, the benefits are just, I mean, it's time. It's time. Thanks for letting me uh, participate. It's always good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Nate. 